Hello and welcome to The Athletic's NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter for The Athletic. I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor for The Athletic. And we made it. It's Super Bowl week, Amy. We did it. We made it. We are live from Miami right now. We are recording this on Monday morning, the start of Super Bowl week. I'm here in Miami. The 49ers are in Miami. The Chiefs are in Miami. And the Super Bowl festivities are like really going to start getting going Monday night um, with opening night. That's the event that used to be called Media Day. But, you know, the teams are going to start practicing in a couple days. We'll really start to get into kind of like the X's and O's, the real like football stuff about this matchup uh, later on this week. But everything's going to get going. We're going to get to know these players a lot more over the next few days. And we're really going to dive into a lot of the matchups um, and everything that's going on with the Kansas City and with the Niners. And yeah, and before we do that, obviously, we have to mention the tragic death um, on Sunday that happened, the death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, as well as seven other people in a helicopter crash uh, in California. Lindsay, you're in Miami. Uh, we kind of saw some clips yesterday from the Pro Bowl of players honoring uh, Kobe yeah. Bryant in different ways. And obviously, this has just left a, a huge impact on everybody across all sports, across the country, across the world. What do you expect? And with media night tonight, usually that's kind of this huge, weird, fun festivity of just kind of craziness. What do you expect the vibe to be there tonight in terms of players? And, and what do you, do you expect kind of the, the Kobe storyline to kind of be hanging over the, the Super Bowl uh, the entire week? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the entire week. You know, it's hard to you know, it's, Sunday still feels so far away from now. But from where we sit here on Monday morning, I definitely think it's going to be a big deal, um, at least over these first couple days here in Miami, because, you know, Kobe Bryant was, you know, such an inspiration for so many NFL players. And, you know, I think you saw that when you, if you watched the Pro Bowl, the way that guys were affected as they immediately found that out and watching kind of the social media tributes that players across the NFL and guys specifically with the 49ers and Chiefs have been um, putting out there really since Sunday afternoon. And, you know, I think, you know, Dan Brown, a reporter from the San Francisco or the Bay Area athletic site, and I had been working on a story about kind of what media night is like and kind of the all the stuff that gives PR directors kind of headaches this week. And there's a lot of things that, you know, I'm sure the Chiefs and the 49ers are worried about potentially, you know, happening this week. And, you know, we really changed that story on Sunday afternoon because, you know, it's going to be different. And I it just I know it's going to feel different. I think a lot of the like the irreverent zany stuff that normally happens at media night, I don't think we're going to get as much of that or players just might not be in the mood for as much of that. I think the football part will still be there. I think they're going to want to talk about matchups and, you know, that the, their offenses and their defenses and all that kind of stuff. But I just I'm not sure if they're going to if the patience is going to be there for, you know, Guillermo from the Jimmy Kimmel show and um, the puppet shows and all of that kind of stuff that goes on. But I think, you know, it'll, it'll be kind of an interesting maybe platform because Kobe was was a you know, he was a larger than life figure, I think, for a lot of sports fans. You know, he was a guy who, you know, we all loved watching on as a basketball player, you know, and then watching his kind of second act as a, a filmmaker and a storyteller and then absolutely as a father and what he meant to his daughters and what he meant, you know, for women's sports. He was such an advocate for 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 women's sports, not just basketball, but also soccer and other women's sports. And, you know, I think that's going to be, you know, something that we watch. But for a lot of these players, I mean, he was a friend. I mean, he was he was an idol first 
And then he was a guy who they got to know. I mean, Kobe spent a lot of time around NFL teams. You know, his office in Costa Mesa um, was in the same complex as where the Chargers train. And so he's met with the Chargers a lot. I mean, they're the Chargers PR director used to work for um, used to work for the Lakers. So he he came there a lot. You know, they had a kind of a close, close relationship. But, you know, he's met with members of the Browns. He's met with the Patriots. They have a personal relationship with him. And, you know, I absolutely expect that it's something we're going to be hearing a lot about, certainly Monday night and then probably for the next couple days as well. And I think, you know, especially for kind of our generation, my generation, I think it was kind of Kobe was the guy. Like I grew up in, in New York and um, people would still wear Kobe jerseys all around when I was in school. And he was just kind of a hero to so many people. And a lot of those guys are, are NFL players around that age who grew up watching him as well. And so this is kind of one of the one of the only moments I can remember in terms of kind of celebrity deaths that really it felt like everything just stopped and froze and kind of the world stopped for a moment. Um, and we've seen that certainly in the outpouring of tributes that we've seen online. Um, you know, like in, in the Pro Bowl, we saw that clip kind of go around in the NFC players uh, doing a tribute to him as well as we've seen tweets from Tom Brady. We've seen, uh, you know, J.J. Watt in addition to, you know, <laughs> former President Obama and all these different figures from all over. So the effect is really profound um, and it's just tragic. And, and I'm I, I'm interested to see um, what players say about it, if they say something about it uh, tonight at media night. All right. And now let's get back to some football talk. Lindsay, you were in Kansas City last week. You've spent some time doing some stories on them recently. What are you looking for in Miami for the Chiefs leading up to this week, leading up to the game? What kind of storylines are you watching? Uh, What are you kind of most excited for? Just what are you looking for with the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of things that I'm really excited about. I think of all of the potential Super Bowl matchups. I mean, it, I don't think it could have really gotten any better than these two teams. I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with the Chiefs. I've already written about Andy Reid and kind of what, you know, winning a Super Bowl would mean to his legacy. But, you know, I think... You know, and I think our beat writer, Nate Taylor, who we're going to be talking to in a little while, he um, he absolutely knows this is true. But I don't think there's a limit to how much we want to learn about, talk to and write about Patrick Mahomes. Um, he is you know, it's it's just great that now in this the NFL's biggest game, the kind of their show, the showcase of the year, we're getting to see the best player. And, you know, he's not the MVP this year. Lamar Jackson deserves to be the MVP and he's going to officially win that award um, on Saturday night. But I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that kind of transcendence of Patrick Mahomes and what he did in the, the divisional round against Houston, um, the way that he played again against Tennessee, that insane touchdown run. You know, I'm mostly just really excited about what he's going to do next and to get to see him and Andy Reid and kind of this the this symbiotic relationship that they have and how much creativity is going on with their offensive game plan between these two guys. Um, that's what I'm really, I think, most excited to watch. Um, and then I think, you know, from you know, from some other Chiefs angles, you know, I think their defense is probably very underrated. You know, I think there's been certainly a narrative out there and deservedly so because, well, in 2018, they were bad. They were a bad defense. There was no getting around that. They were a, you know, very much a almost like kind of a bend, bend and don't break. They gave up yards and yards and yards and yards, you know, like you know, 400 yards a game, something like that. But, you know, it was fine because they were scoring 40 plus points a game. That was not 
necessarily the case this year. I mean, Angie Reid made some pretty significant changes to this defense. The biggest one was letting go of Bob Sutton, bringing in Steve Spagnuolo to be the defensive coordinator. You know, there were some important personnel changes. Frank Clark replacing D Ford. Um, and Frank Clark didn't have a great regular season, but he's come on um, as of late. And then bringing in Tyron Matthew um, at safety, who ultimately I mean, technically replaces Eric Berry, although Eric Berry didn't play last season because of like, he didn't really play the last two seasons. But, you know, Tyron Matthew has immediately come in and become the leader, the face, the voice, the heart, the soul, all of those things um, of the Chiefs defense. So, you know, I think we're going to hear a lot this week about, you know, that, that they can't stop the run, that they're not a good defense. You know, we're going to hear a lot about how the, the Niners defense is the defense to watch, all of those sorts of things. I'm not sure if that's exactly lines up with the actual football that we saw down the stretch from the Chiefs over the last couple of weeks of the season, especially that game when they beat New England and Foxborough. Um, and then especially what they were able to do against the Titans and Derrick Henry in the AFC Championship game. So I think those are the things that I'm kind of most interested in as we as we really head into this week and really kind of diving into um, you know, all of those specific players and then all of the potential matchup issues that go along with that. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's really cool about the fact that the Chiefs are in it is just that it feels like a long time since there's been kind of a team that it feels like a lot of people are just kind of rooting for them, you know, in terms of we've seen the Patriots at it so many times, right? And people kind of get tired of it. But this feels like a fresh matchup. People are excited about the Chiefs because they haven't been there, you know, in 50 years. And every kind of people are excited about the potential for Andy Reid. People are excited to watch Patrick Mahomes on the national stage. It just I think it's just good for football and for the league that the Chiefs are in it. I think it's generating a lot of excitement. I think people are going to tune in. I mean, obviously, it's Super Bowl. People are going to tune in regardless. But like people are going to be excited to watch it as you know in the past I feel like with teams that have kind of been there before it, it kind of loses that kind of uh, excitement for for more casual fans and I think this team uh, has a lot of storylines that people are going to want to follow has a lot of uh, guys on it that I think people are going to want to root for and, and see in action so I, I think it's uh, I'm excited the Chiefs are there I think it's going to be really fun to watch them and I think this is going to be a great matchup. Now we're joined by Nate Taylor of The Athletic Kansas City. Nate is our Chiefs beat writer, and make sure you're following him all week on Twitter at ByNateTaylor. Um, so, Nate, thanks so much for joining us from Miami. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, glad to be uh, talking Chiefs football with you guys again. So, Nate, what do you think that offensive game plan is going to look like based on maybe what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs over the last month or so and through this run so far in the playoffs? Yeah, I would tell uh, your listeners, think, look for three things. Um, one, we know that Andy Reid is a master when it comes to creating and designing screenplays. And so for the 49ers and their aggressive pass rush, I think he's going to try to use that aggression against them. So I would assume that there's going to be some screenplays for Travis Kelsey. LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams are the two primary running backs that the Chiefs use, so they could see some opportunities in space um, with some offensive linemen in front of them. And then I think secondly, uh, there should be a level of misdirection in the playbook, too, just to make sure that Nick Bosa has to think for a second before he can actually go attack uh, Patrick Mahomes in the backfield. So that could include, uh, obviously, Tyreek Hill, you know, the fastest player in the league on some jet sweep motions or some counter plays where maybe he's in the running back position, sort of uh, using that to the Chiefs advantage. And then uh, Miko Hartman, he's been kind of quiet in the playoffs outside of his uh, duties as a kick returner, but there's been times this year where they've used him in jet sweep type motions that have allowed him to get the ball running full speed on the perimeter 
uh, and that has sort of allowed the Chiefs to move the football pretty well this year. And then, of course, once you get the defense to start thinking side to side, maybe there's a chance if the Chiefs are in the middle of the field that Patrick Mahomes can take deep shots uh, towards the end zone that are, you know, 25 or more yards downfield. That would obviously uh, be Tyreek Hill maybe going up against Richard Sherman. And then Travis Kelsey runs a lot of double moves um, when given the opportunity once the defense sort of keys in on the sideline and has to look at Mahomes and what he's doing in terms of pre-snap motioning. So I think those are three ways that maybe the Chiefs can sort of find some advantages against a really good 49ers defense. And Nate, on the other side of the ball, you know, we'll probably keep hearing a lot this week about the Chiefs run defense. What's the real story about what the Chiefs defense has done on this Super Bowl run and what will they need to do to stop the 49ers running game? Obviously, uh, in the championship game for the Niners, Raheem Mostert with 220 yards and four touchdowns. What are the Chiefs going to have to do to prevent that from happening again? Yeah, the, the the great thing, Amy, is like a bunch of uh, our listeners and subscribers from Kansas City are like, who is Raheem Mostert? Like, I've never <laughs> heard of this dude. Um, a lot of people have heard of Tevin Coleman, so they have a nice uh, one-two punch. I think uh, for the Chiefs defense, it's come down to two things. They've they've finally got health. Like, they are fully healthy um, for all the guys that are, you know, in uniform or on the 53-man roster. So, Frank Clark has gotten over his stomach bug issue. He's gotten over his uh, pinched nerve that he had to deal with uh, from the end of training camp. Chris Jones uh, played particularly well despite having a calf injury. He should be back to full health for the Super Bowl as their best interior pass rusher. And there are players such as Tano Passigno, who's a third-year player, Derek Nadi, who's a second-year player, and Colin Saunders, uh, a rookie, who they've all gotten better as the season's gone along. And that's a huge credit to Steve Spagnuolo, defensive coordinator, and Brendan Daly, the uh, storied defensive line coach. He came from the Patriots uh, in their sort of Super Bowl run the last five years. So it's a combination of Steve Spagnuolo kind of going back to that old playbook of, hey, uh, let let me have as many defensive linemen as possible. So the Chiefs used nine defensive linemen against Tennessee Titans, so they had a strong rotation. Those guys stay fresh in the second half. And that really allowed them to stymie Derrick Henry in the second half once the Chiefs got the lead. And I'm assuming that's going to be the similar formula to hopefully get a lead on the 49ers, you know, somewhere in the second or third quarter, uh, maintain that lead, and then let the pass rush and those nine defensive linemen get after uh, both Jimmy Garoppolo and these, you know, this dual running back feature that the 49ers present. All right. So we, we talked a little bit on both sides of the ball, but Nate, I'm really curious if, if there's one matchup. Um, that you're really looking forward to watching this week, whether it's somebody on the Chiefs offense versus the Niners defense or vice versa. What's just kind of one really key kind of one-on-one matchup that you think is going to be really interesting? Yeah, I think this, I I hope this is the case. Uh, And we're going to maybe learn more as we, as we gather more information throughout the week. But George Kittle is a monster on the field and He's a great tight end. He, You can make the argument that he's even better than Travis Kelsey and that we are seeing the two best tight ends in the league now that you know Rob Gronkowski retired. But how much will Steve Spagnuolo use Tyron Matthew, sort of this great Swiss Army knife, can play slot corner, can play deep safety, can be the extra defender in the box, and most notably can cover tight ends uh, the best out of all the defensive backs that the Chiefs have on their roster. So... Uh, he will give up some size. You know, George Kittle is pretty large uh, as a human being. And, you know, Tyron Matthew is known for being the honey badger who is small, quick, agile. Um, so I'm interested to see, like, if the 49ers get in the red zone, 
And if George Kittle can use some of his 6'4 height, 250 pounds against Tyron Matthew, who is not 6'4, 250, he is listed as 5'9, uh, 190, who wins that matchup, particularly on third down and in the red zone? I think that's a matchup that we should, uh, that should be fun and exciting for fans of both teams to look forward to. And these are two of the best players their position going up against one another. And then we obviously know so much about you know, Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and these stars for the Chiefs. But you spent all the time with these guys. You know them best. So who's the candidate for the Chiefs breakout player this week in terms of both the media sessions and then the game on Sunday? Who do you think <laughs> could emerge as kind of an under-the-radar star who really emerges during the, the Super Bowl week? Yeah, I mean, in terms of... <laughs> Likeability, uh, well-spoken, has some charisma to him, and clearly has some ability. Uh, I think I'm going to go back to the rookie, Miko Hardman, um, just because he has the ability to make a play both on special teams and in the offense. So much attention, and rightfully so, should the 49ers give to Tyree Kill so that he does not beat them over the top. But so much of what has made Miko Hardman successful this year is taking one-on-one advantages and understanding the playbook, he has obviously better chemistry with Patrick Mahomes as the year has gone along. And um, Miko Hartman has now gained some traction amongst Chiefs fans as the guy who uh, shows up as a different uh, cult figure uh, to the stadium. So he's shown up as the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, he has shown up <laughs> as, you know, a, a 1980s hip hop artist with a big boombox. Um, I am eager to see what he wears tonight for the uh for the media extravaganza uh on opening night for super bowl week but he's very uh vocal and understanding that he i mean he even showed up to a i should say this too he even showed up to a game in a tyron matthew jersey because he watched tyron matthew growing up in georgia um as a high school junior high player so um he is obviously someone who gives back to the era that were before him but he is also capable enough to maybe make one or two plays to be an axe factor in the game as well. Awesome. Well, we will be following all of Nate's coverage at The Athletic Kansas City and on our The Athletic NFL page over the course of this week. And make sure you're following Nate at By Nate Taylor. And we look forward to um, reading everything that you write this week. Is there is there anything uh, in the can that we should have or that we should keep a watch out for this just week, more, Nate, that you're working just, on? Yeah, just more Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes all the time. <laughs> Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes. And probably like a slither of D4 because like he's still still an eyesore in Kansas City. And so it's it's ironic and unusual that like they have to <laughs> they have to see him again um, <laughs> at the NFL's greatest stage. So thank you, ladies, for having me. I, uh, I appreciate it. And yeah, it should be a really, really fun week. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. Nate. We'll talk to you more soon. Thank you. Thanks, Nate. It all comes down to this. Super Bowl 54. Who's going to be hoisting the trophy and spraying champagne when it's all said and done? Is it going to be the Niners? Is it going to be the Chiefs? I personally think it might be the Chiefs, but I'm wrong a lot, so I would not take my word for it. But either way, that team season will end on a winning note, and yours can too. This is your last chance to play fantasy football until next season with DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. Just draft six players from Super Bowl 54. That's six players from Super Bowl 54. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using the code RUN, R-U-N, RUN, will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a free shot at a $1 million payday. It's pretty good. 
So get in on the Super Bowl 54 action. Download the DraftKings app now and enter that code RUN, R-U-N, RUN, during sign-up. For a limited time, all new users will get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code RUN and get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, now let's shift our focus a little bit to the 49ers. They arrived in Miami um, second. They got here kind of Sunday evening, um, you know, really fresh off of that really dominating NFC Championship game. So, you know, Amy, as we as we look at the 49ers now that they've had a whole week kind of removed from the way that they dominated the Packers, um, what are you thinking about the, the 49ers this week and what sort of matchups or storylines are you really interested in um, learning more about this week uh, in regards to the 49ers? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of kind of watching-wise, I'm just excited to see their defense on this big stage against the Chiefs' offense. I think that matchup is is really exciting. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. But I think in terms of, I know it's kind of the obvious answer, but this is kind of feels like a a huge moment for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Especially with the recent narrative, the way things have kind of been in their last couple of games, and and particularly in the NFC title game with his 6 for 8 stat line heard around the world. Um, I think there is a lot of kind of skepticism from some about what he's actually capable to do, whether they're game planning to stop him from having to do too much because, you know, and then that narrative turns into they don't actually think he can, you know, carry a game. But we've seen it happen in the past, certainly, that uh, 49ers Saints game. Uh, I think it was 48-46. So we've certainly seen him go off in the past. And I think that kind of seeing him come into his own in terms of, you know, around with the media this week, kind of seeing more of his personality um, as well as seeing him match up against Patrick Mahomes. Like he's going to have to throw this time, one would think. Perhaps I'm wrong. But, you know, and, and I think kind of seeing that, uh, how that pans out and and kind of seeing what he really is capable of because I still feel like there are some skeptics of whether he's just kind of a product of the system and Shanahan schemes around his, uh, you know, strengths and and allows him to, they succeed because he never has to do too much. Um, I think that this game will kind of force that narrative to be reckoned with and, and show you know, what he really can do. Um, So I'm excited to see that happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't mention this when we were talking about the Chiefs, but I think this certainly applies to both teams. And I remember I, I covered the 49ers several times during training camp. I was in Santa Clara and then they, for a couple days, and then they came to Denver for some joint practices against the Broncos. And the thing that always stuck out to me watching the 49ers practice and then has certainly translated in the games is just how fast they are, like across their entire offense. And I remember talking to George Kittle about this back in, um, back in August. And, you know, obviously Marquise Goodwin is their fastest player. I mean, I think if we could actually have a race between Marquise Goodwin and Tyreek Hill, um, that would be like the true battle for the NFL's fastest player. I mean, these these guys both have elite track speed. Um, but just, you know, across their entire offense, their, their running game, their running backs are really fast. I mean, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert has kind of become this, you know, reputation of being kind of like their bruiser back, but he's actually really fast. He also, you know, is a, has a track background. Um, but, you know, their, their wide receiver core is really fast. You know, Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, who they added in October, you know, George Kittle, you know, is just kind of a, an alien, I think, and he's a monster. He's, he's really, but he's but he's actually pretty fast when he's not just running people over, um, you know. And then Jimmy Garoppolo has underrated mobility, so I just think that the speed that they present um, both of these offenses are just going to be really, really, really exciting to watch. And you know, last year's Super Bowl was like so plodding. You know, it just it felt like all the, both offenses were kind of in slow motion, and they couldn't really, you know, 
do anything. And so I'm just really excited this year for potential offensive fireworks in the Super Bowl. Will it will it be, you know, the the highest um, yardage in the Super Bowl that we saw two years ago with the uh, the Eagles and the Patriots? Probably not. But I just I think that'll be really good for the game where we get to see two kind of really, you know, genius offensive coordinators with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, and then Kyle Shanahan and what he's working on. I just think you know, we're going to see some really, really cool stuff. And if last year's Super Bowl was like a way for, you know, people who love defense to kind of nerd out about Bill Belichick and Wade Phillips, I think this will be the reverse of that. So those that's, I guess, what I'm just really excited is, is what is going through Kyle Shanahan's head right now? You know, what was he coming up with last week when he was in San Francisco as, as a game plan? Because I imagine it's going to be very run heavy, but you can't rely on, you know, 200 and 20 yards and four touchdowns on the ground from Raheem Mostert every week. But I imagine they have to, that that'll be at the heart of it. But then what else, you know, comes next from there? Now we're joined by Matt Barrows, 49ers beat writer from the Athletic Bay Area. You can follow Matt Barrows on Twitter at Matt Barrows. Yes. Nice and easy. And follow all of his coverage at the Athletic Bay Area. Matt, thank you so much for jo- uh, joining us here in Miami. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, a very, uh, uh, interesting week, I think, for the 49ers and the Chiefs. Yeah, for sure. And you know, this is not your first uh, first rodeo no, here. No, it's not, no. Um, so you covered the 49ers' last Super Bowl appearance, right? That was 2012 season. That one was in New Orleans. Right. Completely different coaching staff. Yep. Um, almost entirely different roster, right? Except yeah. for Joe Staley. Joe Staley and Garrett Selleck. Uh, and, and Garrett is not on the 53-man roster right now. He's injured. But uh, those were the only two guys that were on that team. So... From your perspective, how has this run been different? How are how is it different being in Miami? How is it different the way that the 49ers are maybe approaching this entire thing than they did last time? Well, I mean, there were mistakes made. Uh, you, you probably remember them. Uh, Chris Culliver on Media Day uh, had uh, a terrible in, uh, interview about uh, not wanting to ever have a, a, a gay teammate. And of course, in San Francisco, that didn't go all that well. And, that, and it just snowballed from there. So from a media perspective... Uh, it was about as bad as it gets because it was one thing after another uh, that they made news for in a bad way uh, each of the days leading up to the game. And then in the game, I mean, the the defense, I don't know if it's related, but uh, the, the Ravens certainly picked on Chris Culver in that game. and The defense did not play as well as it usually had. That, that had been a dominating defense up until the playoffs. And there were some Extenuating circumstances, uh, Justin Smith had a, a really bad uh, torn triceps at the end of the year. I think that that, that played a big role. But um, they were sort of fading in the wrong direction, I would say, by the end. This team seems to be getting a little bit stronger with, with each game, um, including the defense, especially the defense. And that's going to be the key to this, to this uh, 49ers Chiefs game. Can that defensive line uh, really kind of... Uh, put pressure on and affect Patrick Mahomes. It, it basically will come down to that. Yeah, I remember you know, the last time I saw the Niners in person was week 17, and I came away from that game going, yikes, there's some there's some vulnerabilities here yeah. in that Niners defense, but they seem to have made some some good adjustments. I think that what they've done in their secondary, putting Mosley in instead of Akella Witherspoon, I think that has helped a little bit, but I, I think there's some really inter- interesting um, matchups there. But let's start with the offense. And, you know, it's been a week since the NFC Championship game. You know, I still am like blown away by the way that they dominated with that running game and um, that game plan they put together and the way that they, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I 
ever saw. I don't know if I've ever seen a game where a team dominated that much in one facet. Um, is that something that you think we might see again this week? What do you think is going through Kyle Shanahan's head over the last week or so as he's been game planning for the Chiefs? Yeah, I, I think there's an element of um, trying not to overthink it. That, you know, he's got, here, here he is, a, an offensive genius. He's got all these ideas going through his head the whole time. He's got two weeks to game plan. I think that there's a, a, a bit of a, uh, a danger that you kind of overcook it and, and not go with what has been working so well. And I think he's cognizant of that. So, you know, it, it seems like the, the very best game plan for the 49ers is, is to do exactly uh, to the Chiefs what they did to the Vikings and, and the Packers. I mean, it, it benefits them in so many ways. You know, takes some of the bite out of the, the Chiefs defense, keeps the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And, you know, it's not a old stodgy 1980s, you know, run the ball plan. I mean, yeah. they don't, uh, they can, they can score 35 or so points by just running the ball. When you're, when you're gaining more than seven yards to carry, you can do that. So, I mean, it seems to be the best of all worlds to do that now. The Chiefs just so overcommit to stopping the run, like, like the Packers were doing in the second half that it makes the the passing game easy that that could happen as well but i would i would think that they're from the from the outset their plan would be to do exactly what they've been yeah. doing the last two weeks so you know speaking of that passing game what do you think we're going to learn about Jimmy Garoppolo this week whether it's through all of the days of media availability where you know he's going to have you know, four days at a podium, basically. Yeah. And and then maybe in the game where, you know, I think a lot of people watch that NFC Championship game coming away going, like, what? I Just, like, not knowing yeah. anything about Jimmy Garoppolo or maybe... Yeah, yeah, or maybe discounting him. anything in that game. Yeah, uh, so, you know, I mean, he's been on the stage before as a backup. He actually has Super Bowl rings from with the Patriots. But what do, what do you think we should expect from Jimmy Garoppolo this week? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's just a, a very laid-back guy. He's pretty unflappable. He's... Uh, I, I wouldn't say that he's um, at home up there on the podium and, and certainly not, you know, in his daily stuff w- w- with the 49ers. It's good. It's it's adequate. Um, he's not going to weave you any awesome stories or anything like that. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty, um, I don't want to say simple guy, but, I mean, he comes from a working class family. He's got brothers. Um, you know, one of the, the lines that he's used over and over again is that if, if you got too full of yourself, growing up, his brothers would just kind of like slam that out of you. So he, he sort of got that uh, growing up with, with brothers mentality. He's not going to certainly bask in the limelight, but he's going to do whatever he needs to do. And, and, and you know, this season has, has taught us that if the 49ers do need to call on Jimmy Garoppolo, he can deliver. Yeah. Um, they don't often have to do that because they've got such a good running game. They've got such a good defense. But there have been times when both of those have faltered uh, during the season, and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has been tapped to save the day, and, and more times than not, he, he's done so. Yeah, um, I think we talked to you after the New Orleans game, yeah. where that was probably the best example of a game where he had to take over, and he was absolutely capable of handling it. Yeah, I mean, he got into a shootout in New Orleans with Drew Brees, and, and he won it. And, and th- this game could be the, the very same thing. I mean, I, I think it's uh, who has the ball last type of game. And the 49ers have had quite a few of those uh, in, in December. And that have worked either way. It you know, really works either way. I mean, six you, inches you, either way. You, right, exactly. You don't want, um, obviously, Patrick Mahomes to be the guy with the ball <laughs> in his hands last. But if, if it is the 49ers who are trailing by four points and 
the 49ers get the ball back with a minute 35, you know, I, I like the 49ers chances. I mean, Garoppolo is perfectly capable of pulling off one of those miracle finishes just as Patrick Mahomes is. All right. So we asked Nate Taylor the same question earlier. Um, I'm going to ask it to you as well. So, you know, we kind of know who the big stars are. We know Richard Sherman. We're getting to know George Kittle pretty well, but you know, you know these guys really well. So who's who's a candidate you think to be kind of a breakout star from the 49ers this week, whether that's, you know, throughout this week of a lot of media going on um, or also you know in the game on Sunday, a guy who maybe the, the national NFL population doesn't know as well. Well, I don't want to give George Kittle any more publicity, but he's <laughs> going to be the star of the, the yeah. media stuff for sure. Uh, but as far as the game, and, and I mean, uh, Raheem Mostert, I think a lot of people are just starting to learn about now. And he's a really, really interesting guy. He grew up uh, just north of here in New Smyrna Beach, and he was like a skate rat, surf rat kind of guy. Um, New Smyrna Beach, I learned, is the shark bite capital of yeah, the I, world. Not I just got the some, US. Uh, I got some world. PR pitches about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> you dangle your feet in New Smyrna Beach at your at your girl. Uh, but uh, it, it just kind of gives you a little bit of background to, you know, a guy who's grew up in a you know in a rough and tumble environment, like threw his body around as a skateboarder, uh, learned really excellent balance. I think doing both and is one of the fastest guys in the league. Uh, he was also a track star at, uh, at uh, Purdue. So when you combine that with Kyle Shanahan's offense and the fact that the Chiefs aren't that great, hadn't been that great against the run on defense this year, that, that he, he's got a, a fairly high potential to be a breakout guy on a, on a real national stage and, and could be the MVP as well. All right. Well, I'm not sure we've ever had a surf surfing MVP before, yeah. but uh, you know, I would I would maybe take those odds. I like it. We're in Miami. I mean, it, everything makes sense, right? It's also been a while, I think, since a running back has won. Yeah. MVP. Do you know who the last? I, I don't. I don't I'll, I'll have to Google that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get on that. Isn't but that odd in the NFL, a league that used to be dominated by running backs, and and haven't had a an MVP running back in a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, last year Julian Edelman, I think, it was the first time a wide receiver had won. Yeah. In a while, but um, was Jerome Bettis uh, an MVP? Ooh, he might have. I don't know. I'll have to see. Our producer Kent might be able to uh, dig in, dig in there, and find us the exact answer for yeah, that. Okay. Or, or if you're listening and you know, tweet us at the Athletic NFL, and we'll. Because uh, it has been a while. It's, that'd be a fun, a fun trivia question, and certainly some prop bets going on about you know the the odds for all of the different MVP candidates. But Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, make sure you follow all of Matt's coverage and all of our coverage from the Athletic Bay Area. I think you have a team of like eighteen people here. Yes, this week we've taken over the Courtyard Marriott Airport. Well, Matt, now they know where to find us. Well, that's okay. (laughs) But we have a a large staff. We're rolling pretty deep here at The Athletic between the Bay Area site, the Kansas City site, and our national staff. Yeah, so follow all of Matt's coverage, and you can follow him on Twitter at Matt Barrows, and we will catch up with you more later this week. Thanks so much, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Power up, power down. So, all right. Well, before we wrap this up, this is usually where we kind of get into our power up, power down segment. Um, We just, you know... As we get into this week, it's really going to just be so Kobe Bryant heavy, I think, um, all across sports. And it's going to be a really interesting Super Bowl week. So instead of doing kind of our normal power up, power down, like we usually do here, um, I think we wanted to talk a little bit more about what happened on Sunday with that helicopter crash, because it's something that really 
it's bigger than basketball. It's bigger than football. It's bigger than the Super Bowl. And we really just wanted to make sure we are, you know, sending our love and prayers and best wishes to not just the Bryant family, but to anyone involved. Yeah. So I just wanted to read out the names of all nine of the victims uh, from that helicopter crash. It's Kobe Bryant, 41 years old. Gianna Bryant, his daughter, 13 years old. John Altabelli, a baseball coach at Orange Coast College. His wife, Carrie Altabelli, and their daughter, Alyssa Altabelli, who is Gigi's club teammate. Uh, Sarah Chester and Peyton Chester, a mom and a daughter on the flight. Um, Christina Mauser, basketball coach and phys ed teacher. Um, and Ara Zobian, a pilot. Uh, he was the pilot of the helicopter. He's been a pilot for 20 years, um, longtime pilot. And uh, so all nine of those people I'm sending, you know, we're sending strength and love to the families um, and thoughts of this just horrific tragedy. So yeah, it's just it's it's just such a sad event and it's really going to, I think, cast a pretty deep shadow over everything that goes on at Super Bowl week. But we will be here all week covering um, both teams, all of the matchups. You can follow all of our coverage um, at The Athletic NFL. And we'll be back later this week for um, a bonus episode that we think will be a little more fun and hopefully will be a little bit more lighthearted after you know the, the start of this week has been so heavy. Yeah. All right. So we will um, talk to you guys then. Thank you. Thank you.